Welcome to the Maris Review. I am so delighted today to be joined by Brandon Hobson, whose newest novel is called The Removed. He's also the author of the novel Where the Dead Sit Talking, which was a finalist for the 2018 National Book Award for Fiction. He's an enrolled citizen of the Cherokee Nation tribe of Oklahoma, and he joins us today from New Mexico. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. So delighted to see you and to hear yeah. that you're doing pretty well in New Mexico right now during month 10 of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know how how well I'm doing, but you know, <laughs> hanging in there. Hanging in there is, uh, is well these days, I think. Yeah. So talk to me about writing a family novel, which seems to be seems like it's going to be structured with a chapter for the mom and a chapter for the dad and then a chapter for the kids and um you 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 do not do that you only sort of do that yeah um so i you know i wrote each thread individually um hmm. one at a time so you know like maria the mom's thread i wrote um I, I tried to write as much as I possibly could um, before I started on Sonia's. And then after Sonia's, I think I went to Edgar's and then, um, and then Chala's, you know? And, and um, so I, I, I wasn't able to sort of jump around, you know, between narrators because with them all being in first person, I really, you know, needed to try to stay in the mindset of each sure. character. So it was, yeah, difficult, yeah. So, so it's loosely the story of a family, all of whom are dealing with the loss of the son, Ray Ray, who was killed at this point, it's what, 15 years ago? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, so I started writing it, you know, Chekhov says that fiction should begin with questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I started writing this, um, I, I started really with the question of how, how do people, are they able to heal after such grieving? And, and I've been reading a lot of articles on, um, reading on, on, uh, police violence against native, specifically native teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, and while they're, why are they getting killed? Right. This was, this was four or five years ago. Right. right? So, 2017 or so, um, when I really started um, thinking about it, 2018, um, and and not getting much media coverage, mm -hmm. and so so I, you know I was I was constantly asking myself, you know why why isn't this getting more national news coverage, right? And and then the Native Lives Movement started, you know, and and um, but still, it, it just didn't seem, it, it also seemed to me that the news was blaming the, the deaths on mental illness, mental health issues in kids, rather than just, you know, sort of police brutality. <laughs> yeah, racism. Yeah, racism. You know, sure. Unarmed children being shot and killed. Right, right, yeah. And so that's where it all started, yeah. And And so talk to me about trauma in in the way of your character's own trauma and their ancestral traumas and how they kind of 
they they coincide is that fair to say yeah yeah and that's you know the whole the novel has to do with being connected right with and ancestors and and with nature and the earth mm -hmm. so the characters are feeling that um connection um through spiritual connection at the same time uh connection through through nature and so um you know uh that i, I i'm aware that sounds really weird right and that sounds strange but i mean no. um <laughs> but i i uh I wanted the trauma of the Trail of Tears, which, um, for those who aren't familiar, is when uh, the tribes were removed. Uh, Andrew Jackson removed the tribes um, 18, in the uh, 1800s, and um, they were forced to migrate west to uh, Cherokee Nation, Chickasaw Nation. We ended up in Oklahoma. And um, that suffering that thousands and thousands of people who died, you know, during that migration um, is still felt today. And, and so I really wanted to sort of focus on that, the trauma of um, how natives today are, are facing um, the same types of, of issues, the same types of suffering, right? And so I wanted to try to make, connect everything to that as, and to the trail as much as I could. Sure, and it's and so it's it's not uncommon for one of the family members in the novel to see an ancestor crawling or walking or um, right. from a distance. Um, tell me, tell me about birds, Brandon, um, and and how they kind of um, interweave between the spiritual and the tangible. Yeah, well, um, I, you know, birds are so representative of, you know, freedom and the, you know, just sort of this beautiful part of nature, right? I mean, I really try to focus on, you know, the things that we see every day, mm -hmm. um, but don't really necessarily appreciate or we take advantage, we uh, you know, take for granted. Um, and, and, you know, so part of that is, um, you know, watching as silly as that sounds, you know, watching a, a bird, you know, um, or listening to the wind or watching the way, the way the branches and the leaves wrestle in the wind, you know, really, really paying attention to these things in the earth and how the earth is speaking to us and how nature is speaking to us. I'm really, as a, you know, as a writer, I'm really interested in in um, in those sort of details, and then connecting them spiritually to you know something else, mm -hmm. right? And and so I think that a bird is very representative of that um, of nature and and um, you know possibly communication. And they're a part of. The everyday experience and the lore and a big theme in in the removed is that storytelling is a way to communicate through time and that stories have been based on other stories forever and ever absolutely i mean stories are you know constantly being retold and um just in different ways 
And in this book, um, everyone's a storyteller in this book, even the minor characters, um, you know, in the darkening land who are just these sort of um, racist figures who are um, coming up and sort of telling weird stories. Um, but yeah, that, that's part of it is story, stories are constantly being retold. And um, part of the old traditional Cherokee stories, uh, I wanted to place in a contemporary setting. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of, um, you know, the stories began, they, they came to Oklahoma through oral telling, right? Yeah, right. right? So, so, you know, they, uh, they had to be documented. Um, and th- there was a man in uh, the late 1800s named James Mooney, um, who started uh, documenting a lot of those stories. And so they're told um, and retold. And so, you know, they're not always the same. Sometimes they shift a little bit, you know. I'm interested right. in shape. I'm interested in shape shifting as well. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, people, people, uh, you know, to go back to the bird question, right. you know, people as, as birds and, and as hawks and um, shape shifting. So, you know, they, they, they tell a little, uh, they, they change a little bit, but, um, but I think they're fun. Yeah. And, and, and I, it's a delight in, in the novel to see the way that, different chapters told from different points of view mirror each other in some respect or um, feel like they're connected even though they're happening in different places. Yeah, I, yeah, that was my hope. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about, about the matriarch of the family, Maria. She's a social worker or she was, she's newly retired. Um, And you used to be a social worker, yes? I did, yeah. I, um, from uh, 99 to uh, 2006, I did, you know, seven years. I My mom was a social worker. And so um, that's really how I got into the, into the field was through her. And, uh, you know, uh, I did three different jobs in seven years and various jobs in, in social work. So, yeah, that's all I could take seven years that's, of it. It's really, a lot. It, it's, yeah, it, it, you know, um, social workers are, are at least, you know, around here, they seem, it seems everywhere. They're underappreciated for, for the work that they do and the lives that they, the lives that they change and, and the lives that they save. So here's Maria kind of holding the family together as her husband suffers from Alzheimer's, and I found it so interesting that Ernest does not have his own point of view or his own chapters, that his mind is a little more unknowable for the reader. Yeah, I, you know, because he's in the beginning, early stages of uh, Alzheimer's. Um, I, uh, I, I, I thought about having some chapters from his point of view early on, um, but ultimately decided against it because I don't know. I, I just felt like I, you know, Maria was the one really to, that I felt like could tell the story, their story better than him. And then with, with his mind, and then we get too much into unreliable, 
and reliability, mm-hmm. you know, because how much of this is, you know, reliable because his mind is, you know, starting to deteriorate. So, so ultimately decided against it. And so then we get glimpses of him through, mostly through Maria and through this foster child that they um, invite to stay with them until he can go to trial and be reunited with family. But so tell me about Wyatt, this, this magical, for lack of a better word, foster yeah. kid. So they take in Wyatt um, in an emergency uh, or temporary foster placement um, and, and right away, right away begin to see how closely related his personality is to, to Ray Ray's, to their son. And, um, you know, I wanted to get away from the stereotype of foster kids um, being, you know, sort of withdrawn or dark and brooding. And, and here's, uh, you know, a kid who comes in and he's very animated. He does impersonations of Pee Wee Herman and, and Marlon Brando and as the Godfather, you know, and, and, um, you know, very, very uh, outgoing, which is the way that their son was. And um, to really affect them in ways, at least that begin to heal their, not only their trauma, but in a way that begins to heal Ernest's mind. And he starts to see that his memory is recovering. And, and begins remembering things. Wyatt is so charismatic and so he's, he's easy in the world, I guess is what I would say. And um, it's true. We, I, I kept waiting for him to break character perhaps, but we, as a reader, I needed him <laughs> and Maria yeah. and Ernest do too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope, you know, he's. I wanted to make him a very lovable little guy, you know, um, that, um, you know, brings in his collection of records, uh, Dean Martin, and <laughs> and, you know, um, big band music that he, uh, as if he, in a way, he's from someone from the. 1940s, yep. you know, from a from someone from the past who is, um, you know, and wearing saddle shoes and uh, uh, has taken dance lessons and uh, and and Ernest sees that, you know, uh, so yeah, uh. um, and so. Maria and Ernest have two living children, Sonia and Edgar. Mm-hmm. And we get to know both of them. We're, we're kind of, we're very much alone with both of them. Tell me a bit about Edgar's journey. And he, he goes to a place that you call the darkening land. And it's, there are things rotting there, literally. It's, it's dark and foggy and the air is hard to breathe. Well, the darkening land, um, yeah, it it was fun to, as a fiction writer, it was fun to write about because I could create this place, right, this otherworldly place, however I wanted to create it, you know, and 
the Darkening Land is an actual um, place mentioned in some of the old Cherokee mm. story, stories, um, you know, uh, and and so I took that and and created this place where Edgar goes, which um, Edgar's sections. I wanted I wanted them to be very surreal, anyway, and have this sort of you know David Lynch quality about mm-hmm. them, where you know it's very um, yeah very smoky and and things are rotting and and decaying and the people are coughing smoke and you know. Um, but at the same time, Edgar finds himself the target of a video game. It's a shooting game um, and begins to fear for his life and and finds out the people around him are involved in developing this video game that will ultimately be shooting against natives. And with Edgar being Cherokee, um, of course, you know, he he starts to suspect they're going to shoot me which is the way that his brother died. And so I wanted to, again, connect and parallel Edgar's story with with Ray Ray's and that he didn't do anything, right? Why does he have to fear um, for for his life without, because he didn't do anything wrong, you know? And, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and we get to know this, um, Jackson, his his friend from school, who takes him in, mm-hmm. and I I want to hear exactly what you, your thoughts are on Jim Thorpe because there is an obsession with the idea of Jim Thorpe, um, at least in the Darkening Land, um, and what he represented as both a Native American and an athlete who I, I know died of alcoholism. Yeah, Jim Thorpe um, and is, is a very famous uh, Oklahoma Native American, Sac and Fox Nation, I believe. Um, but one of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, and and just seems to be, you know, uh, a fascination, it seems like to me, of a lot of people who, oh, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 here's a famous Native, right? Um, <laughs> right, the people, Jim Thorpe, right? He, uh played uh, professional football, baseball, and went to the Olympics and all this. Um, so that, you know, it's kind of a, a spin on that where there, there's a weird obsession with, with Jim Thorpe um, and that uh, Edgar resembles him, right, in, in, in certain ways, right? And, and we're not really sure if that's true or if that's just the impression that right right have. just that that people are saying and projecting yes. on um yeah and and so this darkening land i mean in some ways you know is reflective of the time we live in now as well i mean people obviously you know it's this scary times and crazy people out there you know and so with guns with right Right, with with guns and and shooting people and um, uh, for no reason, except for racism. What struck me about Edgar was when we meet him, he's in the throes of self-destruction. And by the time he he's making his way through the darkening land, it's it's the destruction of other people (laughs) that he has to worry about. Yeah, I you know. 
I really wanted his, because I knew I was going to place him in this mythological sort of place, you know, that I'm creating, that I've created. Um, I wanted his, you know, sections to be really sort of trippy or, or surreal, as surreal as I possibly could. And so, you know, um, there's the matter of, you know, the nations and, um, you know, the, the, the foul that he carries around, the red foul, and that he constantly sees in the darkling land. Um, so his sections are very, very different. Um, and I, I, again, I'm aware that they're, that they're weird. Right. But, um, but I wanted them to be really, really, uh, I wanted it to be as, as, uh, surreal as I possibly could make it. And so, um, yeah, so I, so, you know, part of that is him having, uh, you know, a, a drug problem. And even the, the, the story with the red fowl starts out like any, horror story or regular story about someone getting a pet that's a baby and um you yeah. know it's cute at first and then it demands to be fed and then it's angry <laughs> yeah it's kind of like uh i mean it's you know it's it's a metaphor for i think addiction and mm -hmm. um a lot of things but um you know don delillo has that great metaphor for fiction writing which is like taking care of a baby where I think it's in um, Mao too, Delilah's Mao too, where, you know, you start out, the baby is, is messy and, you know, and it has, it eventually is able to sort of walk on its own, you know, and, and <laughs> that's kind of like developing, you know, uh, uh, your story. And uh, yeah, so it, uh, the, the red fowl came on, actually, that metaphor came on later. I went back and added that later on, so. And then, and then there's Edgar's older sister, Sonia who, without spoiling anything, because let's not, it seems like her coping mechanism is being fixated on young men and having sex mm -hmm. with them. Right. That's it, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> that, I, I mean, uh, she, you know, she, I, I wanted her to be a strong woman, you know, and a strong, independent woman. But I, I knew I wanted to have her in, in a situation where um, she's being taken advantage of by a man, a non-native white guy, you know, who thinks that he can mistreat her. Um, and, you know, I mean, I was also thinking about indigenous women, you know, that are, go missing and murdered all the time. And it, it, the, the numbers in the United States are really astronomically high in Canada as well with first nation, uh, women. Um, but, but, you know, and that was part of it too, is, is I'm, I'm hoping that it, you know, her section will raise conversations about that, the sort of misogyny toward her from this mm -hmm. guy that, mm -hmm. that she thinks, right. Well, I don't want to, you know, give too much. I mean, she, you know, she thinks, you know, she has control of the situation. Right. You know, he turns, he turns out to be, you know, not a great, not a great person. So. And yet he has this son that she adores and he reminds yeah. us a little bit of Wyatt or perhaps Ray Ray, or perhaps, you know, this, this constellation of, of children who. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I wanted, 
I, I hope that she's not an unlikable character. I wanted to make her, you know, likable because here's this little boy, you know, she's a, you know, she's, she's a, uh, yeah, she does like to sort of maybe go hook up with, with men sometimes, but, at, but, you know, I mean, but so what? I mean, she's, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's a nice, she, she loves this little boy. Um, and that's part of, you know, what, uh, the, the guy, um, is, you know, uh, attractive about him, I guess, is, is this little boy. And that all these children, even at the foster, uh, or excuse me, at the shelter, um, you know, when Wyatt begins to, um, to tell stories to the, to the other kids at the shelter. I wanted to draw attention somewhat to children. I mean, again, uh, you know, or the idea of um, unwanted children, right. Is, is um, I've, I've, as a social worker, I was around a lot of unwanted children. Certainly you use the ultimate tool that a writer can use to make a character likable in Sonia, which is that she loves to read. Yeah, and works at the, works at the library and loves to, loves yep. to read, yeah. Rides her bicycle. <laughs> yeah. And then tell me about Chala and adding his voice to, he, he tells us right away that he, he's been, he was murdered before having to join while or while his tribe members had to join the trail of tears. Yeah. Um, he, Chala is based on a real man named Chali spelled T S A L I hmm. who died um, for refusing to leave um, after Andrew Jackson sent, Right, people to remove uh, for the for the migration west. What ultimately became the Trail of Tears. Um, Chala, uh, Chala, the the real man uh, refused and and uh, ended up dying. Um, and so I wanted to base Chala on him uh, in that he and his son also died um for refusing and so so chala becomes a spirit he comes out of the grave and he becomes a spirit telling telling the story to his son right and and um you know and um and telling some of the old traditional stories that all have to do again with the idea of connection uh healing suffering um that i hope i hope parallels is a parallel with with what's going on with 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 the family um, yeah tell me tell me a little bit about as a writer mm -hmm. writing a past and present that kind of intersect sometimes it's um well it's it's difficult you know <laughs> as, as as all fiction writing I, I think is but you know I Maris I come to this um idea that the more pleasure I get when I'm writing the the better it feels um I don't know that we we 
we talk enough about pleasure yes. as writers. Um, now that, but that pleasure can that we feel can be about writing about difficult subjects, right? Sure. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of my subjects are like, oh my gosh, these are you know horribly. <laughs> Can you get a little bit more depressing in <laughs> right. some darker areas, right? It's, you know, um, but, uh, uh, you know, the part of, part of the, the, the idea of fiction writing is, is this, this fun, right? Why do we start, why do we start writing stories, you know, whenever we start? Um, and it's usually because we love reading and it's, you know, there's, a, there's an element of pleasure that we get from it. And so um, I, I think that when that pleasure sort of dissolves, then it, and it doesn't feel like it's pleasurable at all. That is the stuff that usually is not working very well on the page, it feels like. So I think with Chala's section, the fact that here he is this kind of spirit, right? Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm, anything is possible, right? That he can that he can do and and that, right. those became those became fun sections. I mean, and that's sort of like Edgar's sections were fun because they existed in a in a in an entirely imaginative place um, where that has its own um, rules and its own sort of laws of gravity and so forth. So that becomes the fun, um, maybe unrealistic, you know, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah right right yeah and 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 how wonderful to find fun even when you're writing about the most difficult things like that that seems like a method of healing in itself yeah i i remember a student last year i was teaching in the low res um program at institute of american indian arts and a student had said um he said, so, you know, what helps us is to make fun of our oppressors, right? You know, and, and so in a way, um, you know, it's Andrew Jackson is, you know, becomes Jackson Andrews in the darkening land, right? Um, I wrote a letter to McSweeney's uh, that was published in a couple of issues back where I had um, uh, uh, Andrew Jackson um, reincarnated as an armadillo, right, in Oklahoma, and, you know, looks up and says, my name is Andrew, ja Andrew Jackson, former president of the United States, right? I mean, you sort of have to, I think, um, develop a sense of humor over these kinds of things. Sure, and it's yeah. Trump at least oh, uh, left office and Andrew Jackson went with him, and that seems like... The smallest that, shred. That yeah, that was great to see. At least Biden put up, you know, took the picture down, right? And um, uh, so yeah, I saw that. If if that couldn't be more symbolic of. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, don't even get me started. Let's, let's on not. That. Let's not yeah. even start. Um, no, what I want to hear is um, what books you'd like to recommend, Brandon. Ah, okay. Well, um, very difficult. Uh, to, to just think of a couple, but you know what book that I love um, that I just reread recently is Yoko Tawada's *The Naked Eye*. Hmm. Do you know Yoko? Do you know Yoko Tawada? No, tell me. Oh, she's she, she's this amazing Japanese writer, but she also writes in German, 
She writes both in Japanese and German. Um, but The Naked Eye is this fantastic um, novel that was published by uh, New Directions. Um, and uh, about this Vietnamese woman who um, attends this conference um, and is kidnapped at this conference mm. in Berlin. And, and then she escapes um, and she escapes and goes to Paris and it's just, and then meets this oh. filmmaker. It's this really wild, Yoko Tawada is a very fun, but very, um, if you think my stuff is surreal, just, you know, <laughs> Yoko, Yoko Tawada's stuff is very uh, surreal. Um, yeah, but she's great. Um, and then the other book uh, that I absolutely love and is such a strange, eccentric, um, little book is uh, Osama Alomar's book called The Teeth of the Comb and Other Stories. It was also, wow, also published by New Directions. I'm really plugging New Directions. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I mean, these are both older, you know, older books. I think The Naked Eye came out, you know, four or five years ago. And this one was, you know, just a couple of years ago. But Osama Alomar has these short little, almost like, parables you know very short story um it's a short story collection um and they're all just beautiful and bizarre sort of lydia davis type mm -hmm. stories um very much in fact i think lydia davis wrote a little uh well she blurbed him in the new yorker um and and he's had some stuff in the in the journal noon that diane william publishes um, and they're just fantastic, but it's called the, the Teeth of the Comb and Other Stories, Osama Alomar. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I could, I could sit here all day and probably, <laughs> you know, go through so many books that I love. Those are just two off the top of my head. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.